Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Doug Hodges. I happen to be one of the pastors here, and uh, it is my great privilege to kick off our series called On Vacation with a message we've entitled The City Tour. Uh, And as we go through this series, the idea is that when we go on vacation, we go to be refreshed, and so we're going to take some familiar passages, and hopefully uh, you will find them to be fresh again, uh, because that's what the Bible is supposed to be, fresh for us. Uh, And we decided to go into the series, well, because it's summertime, and what else do you do in summer besides go on vacation? Uh, We do that for any number of reasons, whether it's because kids are out of school, it fits in well with work, or because of tradition. Uh, And the idea of uh, our vacation is the same as the series, uh, that we would be refreshed. When we go on vacation, we're we're hoping to come back relaxed. Uh, If you have kids, that usually doesn't happen. Uh, but maybe we come back with a a brand new idea that will get us through to the next vacation. It'll energize us as we move forward, and and, uh, so that's what we do. And the other beautiful thing about vacations is this. They pull us out of our routine. They pull us away from the day-to-day, and they usually come off the heels of a milestone, uh, a major project, and so uh, we get to take some time to reflect and see the things that maybe we missed. Uh, we get a fresh perspective uh, in order to uncover what was hidden for us. And so that's, like I said, the aim of the series, uh, that we would have a refreshed uh, perspective of many of these passages. Uh, We're talking about Zacchaeus, and if you've been in church for any length of time, uh, that's going to be one that's pretty familiar. Um, And uh, it's one that you've you've heard in Sunday school, maybe, if we still have that. Uh, Or maybe you're brand new to the church. And this is a brand new passage, and hopefully this passage will stay fresh for you as you grow in your faith. So whether you join us week in or week out, or you actually choose to listen to these messages while you're on vacation, uh, the point is always the same, that it would bring freshness to your faith. Uh, And so we're going to dive in, like I said, uh, at Luke 19, and we're going to go through 27 verses today. I won't go through them very slowly because that is a lot of material. Uh, But before we dive in, uh, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are a good, good Father, uh, that you are worthy of our praise, and that we can trust in you uh, as we build our life. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and as we continue in worship and we open up your scriptures, uh, I ask that your words would come from my mouth, uh, that people uh, would hear you clearly and they wouldn't hear me at all, uh, that whatever you're doing in people's lives would be amplified as we look at your scripture today. Uh, Father, I ask that you would make me so much less and that you would become so much more, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. And like I said, Luke 19 We normally only go through verses 1 and 10. That's the story of Zacchaeus. But we'll pick up in verse 11 because Jesus tells a parable that we need to pay attention to. I recently learned that parable literally means to throw alongside. 
And so Jesus, when he gives a parable, he's throwing alongside a teaching that is meant to clarify what he's already said or what has happened. And so, uh, and like I said, when we've probably heard this, we've read those first 10 verses and we're like, all right, that's a cool story about a little guy who climbed up in a tree, uh, but what does it really mean to my life? And so that's what we're hoping to uncover today. So join with me in verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a, man, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. But this put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. But because you have been trustworthy in very small matters, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even that will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, Bring them here and kill them in front of me. The end of that story gets really intense really quickly. And the first part is one that we might, like I said, have heard. And when I was reading, how many of you started to sing the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. I won't kill you with the rest of me singing that song because they don't let me up there for a reason. But it's hard not to hear this story and then sing the, sing the song. It's a story, like I said, that may be familiar. 
But I, I wonder, have you really thought about what's happening in the text? I think so often we, we go about thinking about this story in terms of the song and the wee little man who climbed a tree to see Jesus, that that's all we picture in our mind. But that's not just what's happening. You see, the best way for me to visualize it is to bring it into the modern day because uh, I can actually see those things. I could uh, touch them. I could feel them. I could hear them. And uh, about eight months ago, uh, a great scene unfolded. You see, the tour championship was being held in Atlanta, Georgia. And, And something pretty big was happening. Tiger Woods was playing like he hadn't in a long time. He was closing in on his 80th PGA Tour win, and because of his play and the fact that it was Tiger, the crowd showed up. You see, the crowd swelled as Tiger continued to make steady progress toward the 18th hole, and people pressed in. He had to have security keep fans back, and officials were constantly having to make sure he had enough room to take his shots. And if you didn't see it, I want you to see the real action as he heads to the 18th hole. That's a crazy scene. People are acting nuts. They're running through the sand traps. They're totally jacking this chorus up. They're doing all the things they're not supposed to be doing. And all to go see a man play golf. You see, these people are acting in a way that on any other given day, they probably never would. All those guys love golf, and the idea of trampling this course would make them appalled. I'm sure of it, because I only kind of like golf, and it makes me a little anxious to watch that. But you see, they were trying to catch a glimpse of one of the greatest starts to a comeback in sports history, one that Tiger would cap off as he just won the Masters tournament in April. And like I said, I like golf, but that's a whole other level. I don't see myself running for that crowd. I don't see myself doing the things that those fans were doing. And I was talking to a friend, and he said he went down to a golf tournament in North Carolina, and people were literally climbing in trees to watch grown men hit a dimpled ball with a crooked stick around some grass. Like, that's how he described it. I'm like, wow, that's pretty accurate. That's what's really happening. And to be fair, like to all the golf lovers, I could have picked any number of events to demonstrate this point. I mean, how many of you have gone shopping on a Black Friday and had to deal with the craziness of those crowds? Like, we're going to get merchandise. It's going to be there tomorrow. The deal might not be quite as good, but you don't have to deal with the mayhem. Like, there's definitely some trade-offs that are happening here. And maybe you're like, well, I don't really go in for Black Friday deals. I mean, I know many of you are iPhone fans, and how many of you would stand outside to get the latest iPhone? You pre-order 10 months ahead of time, and you still have to go wait in line? It's just nuts to me. We do crazy things like this all the time. And my personal favorite are Chick-fil-A fanatics. 
right? Like, we all love some Chick-fil-A, but there are people who literally will camp out in front of a brand new store opening in order to get one free year of Chick-fil-A? I don't think so. Like, that is not me. I'm, I'm willing to pay the cost to get my chicken sandwich because I like my comfort and I don't want to sleep on concrete. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But you see, this is truly what is happening in Luke 19. This is the image that we need to conjure up in our mind. The people are pressing in in order to go see Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus joined a crowd to see if Jesus could offer a different plan for his life. Zacchaeus is questioning what his life has been about. He's searching to see if there's a different way. Read again in Luke, uh, the first three verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the, the crowd. So really, like I said, Zacchaeus' behavior isn't all that abnormal. We've all done it at some point. We've joined a crowd and then later looked and been like, what was I really thinking? Like, that was a stupid idea. Uh, But see, Zacchaeus wasn't going to see someone's athletic prowess. He wasn't going because he was the biggest star in the latest plays in Jerusalem. Uh, He wasn't going because of his business acumen, but because he was the Messiah, the one who had come to save God's people. And this is the best reason to join a crowd and press in to try and catch his eye, to stretch a hand out and maybe be able to touch him or to hear for yourself his teaching. And this is the attitude that God is meant to stir up with inside of us. Wonder and delight, eager anticipation, great expectation. You see, Paul later in Philippians would record this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Nothing was going to stop Zacchaeus from joining the crowd to maybe being able to get closer to Jesus. You see, what in your own life causes you to join the crowd? What is so worthy of your own attention that you would do whatever it takes to be just one person closer to it? Is it power that you might be able to determine the way things go, that your way is always the way that things play out? Is it prestige that people would know who you are? Uh, that people would recognize you as you walk down the street. Think about what Instagram people do to get famous. Salt guy puts some salt on his arm, and all of a sudden people know who he is. And if you don't, don't bother wasting your time, because I just showed you what he does. Like, but people know him. That's what people do things to, to gain attention. Maybe it's your family. Maybe family has become first instead of God being first, that you would join and do whatever it takes to keep your family there instead of to pursue God at all costs, even if it means uh, 
going against the biblical teachings that you know to be true. There's something that has caused your attention to wander. Maybe it's a title. Maybe you want to be CEO. Maybe you're looking for that rank in the military. Maybe you just want the title of best mom, best dad, uh, best whatever it is. Whatever has taken your attention and has caused you to join a crowd, is it worthy like Jesus is worthy? Because Zacchaeus found that Jesus was the only thing worthy of his attention. So worthy, in fact, that Zacchaeus would climb a tree to see what it meant to live with a God-centered purpose. You see, he's looking at Jesus, and he's seeing that this one is claiming to be Messiah. And this isn't brand new. Lots of people were claiming to be Messiah, but there was something different about Jesus. Zacchaeus, it says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus wanted to see what made Jesus different. He wanted to hear the way he taught. And I can't help but imagine that he had heard this story from Luke 18, just one chapter before. This, this story probably takes place two to three days before Zacchaeus interacts with Jesus. And this is what Jesus says a couple days earlier to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This parable was jarring to his listeners. This parable would have stuck out so mightily to the Jewish listeners because the Pharisees were supposed to have this thing figured out. They were the ones who knew what it took to God to get to God. They were the ones who had a direct line to him. They knew the law better than anyone else. And the tax collector, they were a traitor to their own people. The tax collector was the one who was taxing his people to get himself some money and then give the bulk of it to a foreign occupier. They were no good to the people. Uh, they were betraying uh, their brothers and sisters, their mothers and fathers. And so this story might have been the first time that Zacchaeus could identify with someone who was getting close to God. Because Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and not just any tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, which meant he was good at his job. He had risen through the ranks, and for the first time possibly, he might have thought to himself, I may be able to find God. So he climbed the tree in hopes of watching the Messiah in order to figure out if he was who he really said he was and if he could do the things that he said he would do. And then the incredible happens. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And this is a big deal. The timing of this story is so important. This was no ordinary trip that Jesus was on. For in the next couple days, within 10 days, Jesus would have been on the cross. He was making his way to Jerusalem. He would go from Jericho to Jerusalem, likely from Zacchaeus' house. Then he would, climb, or he would ride in on the donkey and be praised with Hosanna, or behold, the king of the Jews. Nope, that's not it. There's something there. He's going into Jerusalem. He's going to be proclaimed as the one who was Messiah. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. That's what I was looking for, guys. So he's going from Zacchaeus' house to have this declared. And so Jesus takes a moment and pauses. You see, Jesus walked his entire life with ultimate purpose. But in light of the nearness of the cross, his stopping is amplified. The nearness of the cross makes this moment that much greater. And we have Jesus stopping to look into a tree and telling Zacchaeus to come down because he must stay at his house. Remember, this is not what is expected of the Messiah. He was not meant to go and dine with sinners. In fact, it causes a bit of a stir and the people get upset. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And what happens next is as amazing as Jesus stopping But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus, after climbing down the tree, likely scrambling down the tree and falling because it says he stood up. He didn't get down gracefully. He gets back up. And then he proclaims the one thing no one really wants to proclaim, that he is a sinner. You see, the the Deuteronomic law, which is the law from Deuteronomy, required that when someone freely confessed a sin, that they would be required to pay at least twice as much as what was taken and up to four times as much. So Zacchaeus, without quibbling or defending himself against others' accusations, admits to what he has done. He climbed down from the tree to live out the promise of his name because his name literally means righteousness. Zacchaeus' name means righteousness, and his name was meant to hold a promise for his life. And it's at this moment that he responds in righteousness to his encounter with the righteous one. And he's not doing this to try and earn Jesus' favor. He's already received it. See, Jesus has already told him that he's coming over to his house. He's called him out of the tree, and he's going to spend the Sabbath with him, which meant sharing meals together, which meant being in close proximity. And at that time, there were no tables with chairs that you could just hang out in. You were lounging next to people. As a person, I don't choose to lounge next to many people. That's something I reserve for my my friends that are really, really close. My family definitely gets it, but there's like maybe one person I'm like, yeah, I guess we could lounge together, maybe? Like, but this is what's happening. He's about to lounge with Jesus. They're about to spend close time together and share meals. 
You see, Jesus' favor was already freely given to Zacchaeus. And so what's happening here is Zacchaeus is realizing who Jesus is and responds in the right way, at the right time, for the right reason, and that is righteousness. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus, and we have the same choice to respond to him today. You see, whether you're just exploring this whole church thing, you're trying to figure out if this is really for you, if Jesus is who he says he is, or maybe you've been watching for a while. You see, maybe you've climbed the tree a while ago and Jesus has caught your attention and you're now realizing that he's calling you down not to condemn you, not to say what you've done wrong, but rather to freely give you his grace. You have the choice to respond There are a lot of things that will grab our attention, lots of things that seem to have a plan and a purpose and a promise, things that we think joining the crowd for would be all right, but they all ultimately will leave us feeling empty, looking for more. The target will constantly shift. We finally get the title, the prestige, the power, the fame, whatever it is, and we're found that it's wanting, that we need more because the target is not what we thought it was. What we really need is Jesus. And here's the best part about it. It's not like we have to really work for it. He's inviting himself in. The words there that Jesus used, he just wants you to accept the invitation. And we oftentimes, we think we have to prepare ourselves. But listen again to what he says. I must come to your house. I must come to your house. I'm stopping I'm coming to your house to be with you. And Zacchaeus responds, all right. Like, I'm, I'm all in for that. I'm down. And Zacchaeus responds and says, whatever you want, Lord, it's all yours. And he was setting aside not just a few things, but everything he had built for himself. For what reason? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. You see, it's at this moment his greed turns to generosity. He's trading in position for purpose. He's giving up self-interest for kingdom interest. And the exchange isn't one-sided because Jesus stepped out of heaven and said, I'm making a way for you to come to me. In verses 9 and 10, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And that reference to the Son of Man, the the reference that Jesus uses for himself, is meant for his listeners to remind them of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 7. Where the Ancient of Days, who is God, uh, is approached by the Son of Man, who is Jesus, and God gives him this, authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations and peoples of every language who would worship him. And his dominion would be an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so Jesus in this moment is saying, I am that one. He's evoking those thoughts in his listeners. Yeah, you remember the one who that prophecy is about? It's me. And I'm saying this sinner, I've come to seek and save him. I've come to not be uh, just a, a man of... of uh, kingly status that would uh, sit on my throne. Rather, I'm stepping out of my position and I'm going after my people. What king does that? What king goes and says, I need you in my kingdom? 
they might conquer some people, but what one goes after them lovingly? What one leaves the 99 in order to get the one? Which one kicks down the door and says, nothing will hold me back from getting to you? Only one, the son of man. And while that was true of Zacchaeus, it's still true today. You see, he's calling us down from the tree to live out the promise of his name. On your outline, it says Zacchaeus was called down from the tree to live out the promise of his name. Cross out Zacchaeus because this is far more important. We are called down from the tree to live out the promise of his name, his name being Jesus, which literally means Yahweh saves. That is the promise of Jesus' name. You see, Jesus invites himself in to give us a plan. He wants us to join in the building of his kingdom. Matthew 28, 18 through 19 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus is saying, join me in my plan. Build the kingdom not for yourself. Turn over your, your rights and your, your plans and join something greater. Be a part of the kingdom of God and build for me a kingdom that won't ever go away because my plans will always end up in destruction at some point. I might accomplish them. I can build something for myself. My plan can see completion, but at some point, I'm gone and everything fades away. Whatever I build for myself is temporary, but the promise of Scripture from Daniel is that he is going to have an everlasting dominion. His kingdom won't go away. In fact, it will just get greater and greater. His plan is better than ours. And then he says, I have a purpose for you. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Verse 29 says, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There is no greater purpose in all of the world than to look more and more like Jesus each and every day. I'm a dad of two little boys, and it brings me great joy when someone says, hey, your kid did this just like you do. Ezra reminds me of you when he does this. Cohen does this, and it's, it reminds me of you. He looks like you, and that makes me so happy. But when I'm confronted with this purpose that I'm meant to look more like my Savior, I'm confronted with the fact that my boys are not meant to look more like me, but more like their Savior. My job is to make them look more and more like my Savior. That is my ultimate purpose. And as we live out our purpose, we get to point others to that same purpose, that you can follow me as I follow Christ. That is my greatest purpose, that as I look more like Jesus, be like me, not because I'm a good guy, because I suck. I'm not a good person. I'm not worthy to be modeled after. But if I look like my Savior, absolutely follow me in that way because that is the only thing that makes me valuable, that I would look more like my Savior, that you could follow me as I follow Christ. That is our great purpose. And he says, be about my plan and be about my purpose because I have a great promise for you. Because those two things oftentimes can feel overwhelming. And so he gives us a promise. 
Paul in Philippians says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And here's the promise. Being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ. You do nothing. He completes it for you. You partner with him. That's all you have to do. How many of you, if you knew your team was going to be the winning team, would choose not to be on the winning team? How many of you, if you were going into a business deal and you knew that your partner had the best plan that would guarantee success, would choose to do something different? You wouldn't. It would be foolishness to do anything different. So when we say, I've got to do better, I've got to be the best, I need to, I have to, if only I could do this thing just a little bit better, all of a sudden we're reminded in this passage that Jesus is the one who is bringing about completion of his work. Partner with him. That's all you have to do, which, yes, means there is work for you to be done, but you aren't the one who has to bring it to completion. The promise is that he will do it. That is freeing beyond belief. Because as we carry out our plan, as we carry, or as we carry out his plan and his purpose, and we live according to his promise, what that means is all I have to do is share my faith in order to build this kingdom the good and the bad. How many of you love hearing stories of how great I'm doing at reading my Bible? No one. How many of you love hearing stories of how terrible I am at reading my Bible still? Everyone can identify with that one because we all feel like we're not doing it well enough. How many of you, if I said, man, I'm terrible at prayer. I love listening to guys pray, but that's not me. You're like, man, I can kind of identify with that. That's good. Uh, don't be like me. Be like the person who loves to pray and is good at it. Uh, but realize that I don't have to, uh, I'm not the one who's going to bring this thing to fullness. God will make me more and more like his son each and every day. I have to desire it. That's all I need. I have to work for it for sure. I have to actually open my Bible. If I want to know more about who Jesus is, if I want to know more about what scripture says, I can't just absorb it through osmosis. I actually do have to do these things. If I want to be better at prayer, I need to pray. If I, want to, if I want to be better at serving, I have to go serve. But the guarantee is that Jesus is partnering with you to make this thing come about. You don't have to will it hard enough. He wants to give it to you. And so that is the beauty of Jesus inviting himself in because he's doing the work. He's done the hard work. You don't have to pay for your sins. He's already done it. No matter how many times you mess up, he's already taken care of it. No matter what it is. I work at a church and I mess up on a daily basis. I said that in the first service and literally Shelly, who works with me, laughed out loud and couldn't contain herself because she knows how much I mess up. But the beauty of this is that I still get another chance to look like my Savior the next day. In fact, the next moment. That when I mess up, when I blow up, when I have a wrong attitude, that I can go and say, hey, I messed up. That wasn't Christ-like at all. That when I tell my, when I'm mean to my little boys because they're annoying me, because that's what little boys do is they're annoying, they destroy my stuff and I get frustrated and I act wrongly towards them, I can come back and say, hey, that wasn't the right way to do it. I shouldn't have responded to you in that tone. I shouldn't have used those words with you. I should have done something different. And even at one and almost three, it still makes a difference. 
And when I have a, a harsh word towards my wife, I can choose to go back and say, I'm sorry I messed this up. Because I don't have to worry about me making this thing happen. God already has. He's invited himself in in order that we would live a life that is free from guilt, free from shame, in order to go accomplish his plan and his purpose. And you see, Jesus' parable reinforced what was happening here with Zacchaeus. In this parable, which is way too long for me to take any time in, I'm going to give you three kinds of people that Jesus identifies there are three kinds of people that were, ha- that were seen in the story of Zacchaeus, that were st- seen in the parable, and seen even today. And the first are those who hate what the king has said and end up facing destruction. It's not a comfortable thought, but that's what's at risk. Those who don't know who Jesus is, who don't listen to his words, who choose to reject the king, will face eternity apart from him. That's not fun, but it is the truth. And so our job is to, as we go about our plan and purpose, is to make those who don't know Jesus, those who would choose to say, I hate the king because I want to be king for myself, realize that his way is always better. Because that's what's really happening. We don't hate the king because he doesn't have good words to say. We hate the king because his way is not my way. I would choose to do things differently, and I want to be king, and how dare someone try and tell me what I should do? And so there's those who hate the king and end up facing destruction, and then there's those who hoard what the king has said and end up facing obscurity. You see, the the servant who had one minor who did nothing with it because he was scared of what the king might say to him, no one would have known what would have happened to him afterwards. None of the people who are grumbling about Jesus, we know nothing about them. But we do know that Zacchaeus had dinner with Jesus. Like, he's not an obscure character in the Bible. He's not someone who we don't know anything about. If there's one thing to be known for, being known for having dinner with Jesus is got to be pretty high up there. And so those who hoard what the king has said end up facing obscurity because they're scared to take the next step. They're scared to do the next right thing. They're scared to act in righteousness. And they might come down from the tree, but they would not dare confess that they are a sinner, that they need Jesus. They'll just kind of live their faith comfortably. I'll come to church. I might even join a life group. Any more than that? I don't think so. Uh, you want me to share my faith with my kids? Have you seen my faith? Have you seen mine? I'm just as messed up as you. Like our call, our plan, our purpose is to share the faith that we have and watch God do something different with it. Watch him let it grow. Watch him make it grow. And so we could hoard what the king has said and say, I'll just, those are good words. I'm not going to do anything with them though. They'll just hang out in the Bible. I'll read them every now and again. Pastor Tim will get to that passage and be like, oh, I should probably do something, uh, but I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm going to hold those words and just kind of let them sit there because I don't hate the king. I just don't want to actually do anything for him. And then he says this, those who heed what the king has said and end up gaining the king's pleasure. I'm a guy who really loves to get a good attaboy. When someone tells me I did a good job, like, ah. I get pretty pumped about it, 
And when someone who I actually, like, respect gives me that attaboy, oh, man, that's good. When my dad looks at me, uh, when mentors look at me and say, hey, you're doing a good job. You got this thing figured out. You still got some room to grow, but, man, good job on that one. You knocked it out of the park. That means something to me. And see, those who heed what the king has said end up in the king's pleasure and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if I'm being honest, if I'm going to get an attaboy from anyone, king of the universe, God over all, he's up there. He's number one. Like, who else, like, if he cares that I did something well, what else matters? If he looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant, that's the only thing that matters. And so we have the, the option, uh, are we going to be like the first one and hate what the king has said, choose not to respond in any way, or maybe we're going to be like the second one and we'll just kind of hang out here. We'll kind of check this faith thing out and we'll beat around the bush a little bit when we have to, but we're not going to do much. Or will we join in on building the kingdom for God? Will we be a people that are generous when it comes to kingdom-minded things, will we respond to his invitation? Will you come down from the tree and experience life with the king? Will you turn over everything to him and say, use it for your glory? Because that is ultimately the purpose of Zacchaeus. He doesn't just say, I'll give you my money. He's saying, I'm giving you everything. Because at this moment when he says, I have defrauded people, I'm freely confessing that this is my sin, he's losing his ability to be a tax collector with any self-respect. Why would you go to the man you know is going to defraud you when you can go to someone else? He had done a really good job of making it look like he was being fair and balanced in order to be a chief tax collector and be wealthy. He would have had power and position because Lord knows the last thing you want to do is get the tax collector on your bad side. He can do whatever he wants to with your money. And so when he gets up and says, I am a sinner, when I confess that I need Jesus, he gives everything up and he says, my yes is on the table, Lord. Whatever you want with me, I'm trading it in for you. And will we do the same thing? Because God is absolutely calling us to different things. Maybe he's calling you to know more about him and you've just kind of been sitting on the fence saying, I don't really want to. I don't want to have to get involved with community. Like that would be my excuse. I don't like people enough to want to be with people. I just want to hang out. I want to be able to read my Bible. Uh, but he's calling you to something different. Maybe he's saying, I want you to be about ministry. And it doesn't have to be like my ministry here as a pastor. But maybe he's saying, I want you to pour into little ones. I want you to go hang out with those at Meadow Glen. I want you to go hang out with those in the memory home. I want you to go and do whatever the next thing is. And you've been sitting there thinking, I don't want to. I'll hang out in the tree just a little bit longer. Are you kidding me? It's not condemning you, but it's far more comfortable out of the tree if we're being honest. No one ever got a good night's sleep sitting in the tree. No one ever got a good night's sleep thinking, man, God is calling me to do something and I just don't want to do it. When we run away from God, we are constantly in the state of uh, angst. I feel like I should be doing this, but I don't want to because I might fail. You won't. Jesus will carry it out to completion. 
Uh, I don't think I'm good enough to climb down from the tree. He's already invited himself over. He's going whether or not you want to or not. Like, I'm coming to your house. I must stay there. Uh, the implication also is that Jesus didn't have any place else to be. So I'm going to go there no matter what. You're going to have to deal with me. Like, that is it. We have to deal with God's calling in our life. We need to take the next right step. Whatever it takes, we need to respond. And so we're going to pray. And if maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I really have just been looking in. I haven't really made any decisions. And you want to make a decision to climb down from the tree and live out the promise of his name to find out that, yes, Yahweh truly does save. Man, Bill's in the back. Ed's in the back, I think, somewhere. Stand up. We'll pray in a moment. You can stand, join them, pray with them. If you're thinking, man, I feel like God is calling me to do something different. I need to know more about who he is. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, I need to, to start ministry. I need to serve the kingdom. I need to put my yes on the table and see what God will do. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Grab a Connect card. I don't care if you've already turned one in. Turn another one in at the back and say, my yes is on the table and we'll talk about it. Or we'll reach out to you and say, how can we help you be kingdom-minded? How can we help you learn to live generously for the kingdom of God? And so if that's you, take the next moments as we pray and see what God would have you do. Because we are supposed to be about his plan, his purpose, and his promise. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you have invited yourself in. Lord, that we don't have to make a way to get to you, but that you seek us out. Lord, that you are coming after your people, not to condemn them, but to bring them into the sphere of your love, to wrap them up and say, I've made a way for you to be with me. You didn't think it was possible, but I've made a way. Lord, thank you that this is the way that you run after your people that you didn't choose to make us come to you, but you came out of heaven and walked among us in order to show us how to do this thing we call life. Lord, as we respond to you today, I ask that you would quicken our hearts and you would do something within us that would cause us to act maybe a little bit differently like the men in that video, that we would act out of our character as we respond to you as we lean in and say, I need to know him just a little bit better. I need to be closer to him. I want more of him and way less of me. Lord, as we go about our day, would you constantly be calling us out of that tree in order to live at the promise of your name? That we don't have to do this thing alone, that you're walking alongside us. Father, we thank you for who you are. Be with us as we go. Us as we, go. we pray these things in your name. Amen.